This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. Every great drama seems to require a villain. In the old westerns, there was a man who wore black and who was so mean and disgusting until everybody hated him. The hero finally got the best of him before it was all over. The afternoon soap operas use the role of a villain quite effectively also, as there's this person with the distasteful disposition whom no one likes. You know about Scrooge and the Grinch at Christmas time also, negative people. Turning to the Bible, we have in the Easter story the man in the person of Judas, the traitor. And when it comes to Christmas, the favorite whipping boy of many pulpits is the man who is known as the innkeeper there in Bethlehem. Let me share several examples with you to illustrate how popular this negative thought is about the innkeeper. First, I have in my personal library several books which all have the same title, Best Sermons of Such and Such a Year. In one of these volumes, the sermons are selected from pulpits throughout the United States and even from some other countries. These are from Protestant, Catholic, and Jewish pulpits. In the Christmas section of one of these, there's a sermon based on Luke 2, verse 7. There was no room for them in the inn, that verse says. The preacher in that sermon dwells extensively on the fact that Jesus is shut out today from our lives, which is quite true in many respects. But his scriptural text is the example of the innkeeper. I'll give you another illustration. In another book, a very popular commentary, the author deals with this text. He says, why was there no room for the Christ child? Because other guests had gotten there first. The innkeeper was so harried with his patrons that he had no patience to look for additional rooms. And thus, he casually excluded Jesus from the inn. Give you another example. Several years ago, on a very popular religious radio program, uh, the minister brought a message on the subject, No Vacancy. In this sermon, the innkeeper is berated with words such as these, Christ came to the door of an inn in Bethlehem, wanting in. While still unborn, he made his plea only to be refused. The innkeeper had but one chance to receive Jesus, only one chance to let him enter and he turned that one chance down. Then this preacher went on to develop his sermon in a most persuasive manner. In true homiletical style, he had three points. Why this rejection, he said? First, the innkeeper may have been too busy making money. Second, the innkeeper may have had no room because he was too busy catering to the rich and the important people. And third, the innkeeper may have been thinking about his own comfort and well-being. His mind was trapped in selfishness. Let me give you a fourth and quite embarrassing example of misrepresentation of this innkeeper. It came to me as I look back over some of my former sermons 
that I have preached in years gone by, as I too have joined in with the denunciation of this nameless man. Now, what about all this? During the Christmas season each year, our minds are prone to wander, our imagination becomes restless, we try to envision how it must have been on that night of nights years ago. But it is tremendously important that we not stray away from what the Bible actually says. Basic honesty demands that we admit the fact that there's not one shred of evidence in the Bible which casts a light on this innkeeper's motives. All the evidence about him is only indirect and it's very scanty at that. I'm raising the question this morning of whether or not this innkeeper is worthy of all the criticism he receives during this time of the year. I want to acknowledge the debt of gratitude to Dr. William Hull, one of my former professors in the seminary, who gave some real clear insight at this point. There are three popular misconceptions that ought to be clarified if we're going to understand this part of the story of our Lord's birth. The first is the assumption that Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem at the very last moment before Jesus was born. Now remember, this is a misconception. Don't forget that the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem was some 90 miles or so, probably requiring four or five days of strenuous travel. Isn't it a bit far-fetched for us to suppose that Mary and Joseph set out on such a trip in the final days of Mary's pregnancy? In fact, Luke clearly states that Mary filled out her final days of waiting there in Bethlehem. That's verse 6. We might well re-examine our scripture if we have had the mistaken idea that Mary and Joseph arrived late in the afternoon of what we would call Christmas Eve. No, more likely Mary and Joseph had lived at this inn in Bethlehem for several days or even maybe several weeks. Now, why would these two come to Bethlehem so early? Well, in the first place, Mary did not have to come at all. There was no law which required a woman to accompany her husband when he enrolled for the census. Matthew tells us that Joseph, guided by God, had determined to shield Mary from the shame and the scandal of an unexplainable pregnancy. Certainly this would be a much easier task at a place which was five days journey from the little village of Nazareth, where everybody perhaps knew everybody else's business. And so it was an act of love on Joseph's part to take Mary away. But we must remember Joseph was no simpleton. Surely he left home early enough to avoid a delivery possibility on the way. A second ray of light on this situation comes from a word that Luke used to describe the place where Mary and Joseph went. The King James Version of the Bible calls this place an inn, I-N-N. But the usual word for inn is not used here by Luke. Instead, he uses a word which always refers to a private home. You remember in another place in the Bible when Jesus sent Peter and John, told them to go and get ready for the Passover meal? 
they were to enter a city, find a man bearing a pitcher of water, and follow him to a house. And they were to say to the man of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? That's Luke chapter 22, verse 11, King James Version. Luke here uses the identical word for guest chamber that he uses, which is translated for the Christmas story, in. The scripture seems to indicate that Mary and Joseph came to Bethlehem planning to stay for several weeks and that they engaged the home of some person where they would stay in the guest chamber or guest room while they were there. Now, the question may arise in your mind, well, why then wasn't Jesus born in that room? Why was he born in the stable? Uh, even though the Bible really does not say that he was born in a stable. It merely says that after his birth, he was placed in a manger. I think it's safe to assume that the birth did take place there in a stable also. But the Bible does not say so. We have to assume that. When we try to answer why Jesus was not born in the guest room or the guest chamber, we have to remember that we're assuming that this was their place of privacy, just for Mary and Joseph only. We're all prone to superimpose our present-day living standards in 2021 on those people there in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. We think of a hotel or a motel or a guest home where those who came were given private room. Not necessarily so back then. In ancient Palestine, privacy in such a house was almost non-existent. One man, Gustav Dahlman, who had a lot of experience in Palestine, wrote these words. Anyone who has lodged with Palestinian peasants knows that notwithstanding the hospitality, the lack of privacy is unspeakably painful. One cannot have a room to oneself and one is never alone by day or by night. I myself have often fled into the open simply in order to be able to think. A guest house is a public place where one has no right to be alone. Well, the real problem now for Joseph and Mary was not so much in finding a room where they might sleep, <coughs> but rather in finding a place suitable for the birth of a child. And this problem was compounded by the fact that it was a Jewish custom to empty a house of its inhabitants at the time of the birth. And that was for two reasons. One, to give the mother some privacy. And two, <coughs> because to scrupulous Jews, the passing of blood would render an area ceremonially unclean. And it would make it unfit for immediate use by other persons. And so, in light of all this, I believe a more correct translation of verse 7 of Luke chapter 2 might be something like this. There was no place, not room, no place for them in the guest chamber. Now, if all of these observations I've just been sharing with you on what the Bible actually says and what it does not say, have helped us to get back a little closer to the actual situation at that time, then we are in a better position to appreciate the role 
of this person who is called the innkeeper. Having provided lodging for Mary and Joseph for some several weeks now, this host now shares with them a growing sense of the predicament that they're facing. A baby is going to be born. We can well imagine that any host would be rightly concerned for the welfare of any of his guests. Now, during the crowded time of the census, the thought of asking all the others in the guest chamber to leave, well, no, that's out. He can't do that. But what can he do? Well, we are left here without clear information from Luke, the gospel writer. But can we not imagine that perhaps Joseph and this innkeeper had sought out a place which was private and quiet, maybe such as a stable that had been vacated temporarily by shepherds who had taken to the fields with their flocks. And so Jesus was born, probably there in the stable, and he was placed in the manger. The shepherds who were in the same country, the scripture says, were notified immediately of this marvelous birth. You remember the verse, unto you is born this day. And they came with haste, and they found baby Jesus in the manger. Now let's look at another aspect of this story. The wise men who came from the east following the star came many, many days later. We often think of the wise men as coming to the manger and kneeling down with the sheep and the cattle and so forth all around. In fact, yes, we have a manger scene in our home where all these are gathered around the manger. But if you go back and read Matthew 2:11, you will find that the wise men came to the house, not to the stable. That's what the Bible says. Read it. The birth was over. Mary's days of purification were ended, and they moved back to the guest chamber of the house. Wow, what a story. Now, there may be some who are listening to me right now who do not agree with all you've heard here this morning. That's your privilege. But I would ask that you not join in the condemnation of an anonymous person who just might well have shown a simple kindness to a young couple in trouble. What's the best lesson that our imagination can teach us from this innkeeper's life? I believe it's the central lesson of the Christmas season, a lesson of lowly service. No doubt you're going to continue to hear during these days ahead a lot of sound and fury about a vicious innkeeper who put out his no vacancy sign equating him with all the materialists of our generation who slam the door of their hearts in the face of Christ. We hear that every year, don't we? Wouldn't it be better to go through this Christmas season with a new understanding of the spirit of that innkeeper as we also look for an opportunity to render some simple service to somebody else? Scarcely could that innkeeper imagine that this same baby would one day confer such a significance on a deed such as his when that baby grew up and he said, as recorded in Matthew 25, verse 40, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, 
you have done it unto me. This Christmas, you may have the opportunity of following the example of the innkeeper and going out of your way in the midst of a busy routine to offer a simple kindness to somebody in need. In conclusion, let me share with you the words of William Hull I just mentioned a moment ago, whose insight into the person of the innkeeper has really opened my eyes. Here's what Bill Hull says. Christmas and busyness seem to belong together. How hard to take an afternoon off and hunt for a barn in which Christ may be born. It is not easy to find a starving child in our city or to gather up enough groceries to keep him from dying from hunger. It is not easy to slow the frantic pace of war long enough to sort out the helpless women and children from the deadly enemy before machine guns blaze. No, it is not easy to do a good turn for the forgotten little people of this earth. But remember, hidden within them, within the Marys and Josephs of our day, Christ lurks, waiting to be born afresh. Will you be a good innkeeper this Christmas to the least of these, my brethren? The poet said it so well. It was only a kindly smile he gave as he passed along the way but it lifted a load from a weary heart and brightened a dreary day. It was only a cheery word he spoke, but it made another strong and gave us courage anew to tread the road we must walk along. It was only a helping hand he gave to a struggler on life's road who was struggling on through the weary way, so tired beneath life's load. Such little things in the world's cold eye but the good Lord above could see the love in his heart, and he whispered low, You have done it unto me. O oh God, give us open eyes, open hearts, to minister to those all around us this Christmas season. May we do it not for personal glory, but for the sake of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.